as Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum. This is Mark 2. And the news of his arrival quickly spread through the town. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors there wasn't room for one more person, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his head. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law were sitting there, said to themselves, What? This is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? But Jesus knew what they were discussing among themselves. So he said to them, Why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And I will prove that I, the Son of Man, have authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, take your mat, and go on home, because you are healed. The man jumped up, took the mat, and pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. Then they all praised God. We've never seen anything like this before, they exclaimed. A passage that I think many of you will be familiar with. You may have heard it many dozens of times. But it's important to reflect in a church like ours that we don't necessarily see day by day, Sunday by Sunday, people who are the equivalent of the paralyzed man leaping up us looking stunned and we praise God saying we've never seen anything like this before. So why do you think that's the case? I don't usually do why questions because I had a pastor who always used to say I will answer any question except a why question. But today there's the exception. So I want you just to walk with me through this slightly. You see, there was a man with a problem. The presenting problem was paralysis. He had sufficient friends, four of them, to get him to the proximity of Jesus. But you see, he's on the roof. And the roofs, if you've seen them in Israel there, they consist mainly of, of wood and straw and baked clay. And it's hard, and it's waterproof, and it's a little bit like concrete. It is a layer. But you see, they've got him up on the roof, and Jesus is down inside. So what's that got to do with this church and us? You see, the friends had faith that by presenting their friend, the paralyzed man, to Jesus, something would happen. It must have been quite a difficult thing in that hot country to get on up the outside stairs, to get him on top of the roof, even four of them. Particularly with somebody who is paralyzed. 
he must have been like a very, very large sack of potatoes. So they get up there perspiring on the roof, but they can't reach Jesus, can they? And I think sometimes we're like that, that we can't reach Jesus because there is this great big layer of clay. Great big layer of clay. But what is that clay? Why don't we see people jumping up, taking their mats, pushing their way through us and praising God? We'll never, we've never seen anything like this before. And I think the clay roof may represent a layer, quite a thick layer, of lack of expectation. Maybe, maybe a lack of belief, a lack of faith. You see, what is faith? Faith is belief with legs. Nowhere in scripture do you see the Lord just preaching. It is always preaching and then the demonstration of his works. Somebody said recently the hardest place to see a miracle is on, in a church service on a Monday, on a Sunday morning between 10 and 12 o'clock because you have come and you know what's going to happen, don't you? Or you come and you know what's not going to happen. So the expectation of the living Jesus Christ working is not there. And sadly, that is actually an area of unbelief, a lack of expectation. You come and you hear the word of God, but then there is no demonstration of that. And we as a church need to look at this area where we may be just a little bit paralyzed, a little bit paralyzed, a bit separated from Jesus by this clay roof. And the good news, of course, is that God wants to work. Why? Because he loves each one of us. He likes us. He wants us to take him at his word. The faith that we have got, we are saved people. What's Alpha about? Is it about going for a nice meal in a warm restaurant and seeing a nice video with a nice man telling you things? Well, yes, in a way. But the real purpose is that those people who are lost who are going to go, if they die tonight, to a place without God, need to be saved. And the Lord Jesus uses the vehicle, uses the hospitality that Jesus welcomed people. He taught them, healed them, and sent them out. Don't be surprised if Alpha results in more people being healed, restored, saved, and going through the waters of baptism to follow the two we have got that the Lord has presented to us. So how do we get rid of the clay of unbelief? How do we get through of those sticks, that concrete? Which is an old-fashioned word, isn't it? It's to repent of it. It's to own the fact that our faith is limited. It is separated by a clay layer. And God wants to break that up. But he needs your permission to do so. He needs your permission. He needs your amen. You need to ask. We as a church need to raise our expectations. I read earlier of the simple Welsh revival and what happened there. How did it start with a few elderly praying women? 
with a few girls who sang in harmony. They sang that first hymn that we sung. Maybe it's not culturally quite the right shape for now, but the Lord sings new songs and we will find the right music, the right way of expressing that. The word, the works, the worship. Nothing happens except out of prayer and worship. So can we be less paralyzed, church, yeah? Can we start to break up the clay of any areas of unbelief? Can we come to this place with expectation? Can we go to other places with expectation that the risen, powerful Lord Jesus Christ will do what he says? Stand up, take up your mat and go home because you are healed. Perhaps we need to be healed in this area of lack of expectation, a lack of faith, and we need to repent of it. And as we do that, as we walk together through this process as a church, we will come to that place where we can all praise God. We've never seen anything like this before. May this be true in this place, in the, in a way, the new term, doesn't it? It starts in September. May it be true in this place, in this new term. Amen. It's a real pleasure for us to be here with you today. Um, I bring greetings from our church, which is Downs Baptist Church in Wooding Dean. Um, we're also in a position of transition at the moment, and we haven't got a wonderful building like this. We meet in the school hall. But we do get into the community. We try and, and live it out. We run the local greengrocer's shop. So on a Wednesday morning, Irene's a greengrocer. On a Saturday morning, I'm a greengrocer. And although we do serve vegetables and, and serve the community in that way, it's over the, the 10 years we've been doing it, it's really been a place where people in the community know they can have a, a listening ear. Um, people will pray for them. People will listen to what they, they've got to say. And so we, in many ways, our service there is, is more than providing vegetables. And any profit that is made is sent to um, missions we support overseas, in Kenya particularly, in Romania. We also have a slimming club. Uh, Irene felt that many people come into church halls and into churches week by week to weigh up and, and lose weight and yet they never hear the gospel. And so Nimos, which is based on Philippians 4.13, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nimos stands for not in my own strength. And we believe that to lose weight successfully, everything's got to be right, the spiritual side, the physical side, the emotional side. And in doing that, you can lose weight. The, the difference mainly is that you have to listen to a verse of the Bible. Every week, Irene takes a verse and shares it with the, the ladies. So you have to listen to that. And then afterwards there is a prayer time which is optional, but invariably all the women, some of whom are not Christians and don't go to church, stay behind and, and listen to it. And if you lose weight, you make a thank offering of at least a pound, which goes to a food-related charity overseas. Um, so it's, it's a good idea. God thought that one out really well. And uh, the church overseas is, is being blessed as well. And the third thing we've got is an athletics club uh, called the Habakkuk Carriers. And often uh, they will do charity runs and marathons and generally keep fit. So we try and get a bell and we bring air greetings to you. 
Today we've got our Open Doors hat on, we're the area reps um, for BN and sort of just a bit further afield. And uh, Open Doors is an organisation started many years ago by Brother Andrew, who you may or may not have heard about. Um, he, his first book was God Smuggler, which you may well have read. It told about the stories in the 50s when he was appalled that he could go behind the Iron Curtain and there were churches meeting there, but in actual fact they couldn't get Bibles and couldn't get um, scriptures through. And the organisation started with him taking Bibles in this battered old Volkswagen behind the Iron Curtain, meeting with churches, encouraging them and strengthening them. And it's good today that we've met communion because... We want to look a bit further afield. We are all family. We are all one body in Christ. And if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If my, I had a, a bad hip and I had to have a new hip last year, my hip hurt and my whole body suffered. And although I'm not expecting all of you to become Mayor Keen Open Door supporters, because if you did that, who's going to support MAF or YWAM or all the myriads of, of um, charities we can support? I believe God's gracious enough to provide enough people to cover all his different works. But if your body's hurting, you want to know why it's hurting or where it's hurting and try and find out about it. And that's what Open Doors does. They're seeking to raise awareness of places where the body of Christ is hurting. And we're not talking about the church in Egypt or the church in Iraq or the church in China. It is, the chi it is our church in those places that is suffering. It's not the Chinese church or the Iraqi church. It's air church, air brothers and sisters that are suffering in those different places. And so it's air body that's hurting. And we hopefully can find out where and why that's coming about. Once the uh, Iron Curtain had fallen, Brother Andrew then went on and the next place to go was China because that also had the bamboo curtain. And we have a book on the stall that we brought called The Night of a Million Miracles, which was possibly the biggest single event that Open Doors ever organised, which was to take a million scriptures into China on one night. And to do that, they wrapped all the Bibles in tarpaulins, put them on barges, which they took under the cover of darkness into a secluded bay, sunk the barges, and all the Bibles floated into... Uh, into the shore where people were there to distribute them throughout the whole country of China uh, that happened about getting on for 30 years ago now but there are still stories of Bibles being found in China um, that came in on that night some of them are called perfume Bibles because as they were being distributed the uh, people taking them were caught and stopped and they were put in a cell overnight and the Bibles were thrown into the village cesspit. And when they were released, the people, the, the couriers, waited again until the cover of darkness, went into the cesspit, brought all the Bibles out, dried them out, but they were still smelling slightly, so they sprayed them with perfume. And these perfume Bibles are still known about today. Um, after that, Brother Andrew went on uh, and tried to bring reconciliation between Messianic Jews and uh, Christian Arabs. And uh, he's 
his book called Life Force, tells how they set up camps, which are still meeting, even over this last summer. Um, these two groups of people have met together, prayed together, got to know each other, and then they can go back to their communities and say, actually, Arabs are all right, especially if they're Christian Arabs. They're, they're the same as we are. And through the Holy Spirit, they have become brothers and sisters in Christ. And similarly in Africa, um, there are training centres being set up where people from different tribes who would normally be at enmity with one another have met and prayed and, and built each other up. And they go back to their villages and say, actually, if these people are Christians, they're exactly the same as us. There's no difference. They're a different tribe, but we are all one in Christ. Um, and then his latest thing, Brother Andrew obviously is a great... I've got so much admiration for the man. He's now over 80, but he is still going into all the world. And now he's, he's looking at Muslim lands. And his latest book is called Secret Believers, which is a fictional book based on true facts uh, about the difficulties Muslims are facing coming to Christ. In the last week or so, we've had an Arab Christian who works with Open Doors sharing in this country. And one of the amazing facts he told us was in the last 20 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the previous 1400. God is still a God of miracles. God is still getting in. And a lot of these people, aren't, there are more now reading scripture because of the internet and because of TV programs. Uh, they can get into lands that are closed. But a lot of these Muslim believers are seeing visions of the Lord and being called by him to follow, follow him. And I say, uh, in the last two, 20 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than the last 1,400. And that does bring a severe cause of persecution. So that's how Open Doors has grown. We started off as a Bible smuggling organisation, if you like, but now we've gone much further. And we try to support the... The, the suffering church through the hunger they had. Last year, 3.5 million pieces of literature were distributed. This Bible, I think, is a North Korean one. And we get local um, artists in so that you haven't got a white Jesus or a Jesus as we think of, but we've got local illustrators sort of drawing pictures that they can understand. It's in many different languages. Another way in which we get scripture in is through an MP3 player. This new technology is wonderful because whereas you might have to have a great big Bible, which is fairly obvious it's something important, people can go around with just the thing in their ear and they don't look any different from anybody else. In some places, because the Bible is so big, believers have torn them apart into different books so they can just take a little pamphlet out of them. And there are all kinds of ways we can support them through Gospels, through full full Bibles, um, through all sorts of different things, tracks that we can get into these different places. Okay. We try and uh, meet the thirst that people have. And last year, more than 170,000 people received training in spiritual things. Um, this could be discipleship training, it could be training of pastors, it could be training Sunday school, and it could be teaching women, as we'll see probably later on. A lot of um, the people that face the persecution 
in serious way, <clears throat> that's not really right, often men will be imprisoned or martyred and the women are left behind. So if, if Jim was taken away and tortured, his wife would be expected to be the pastor and she may not have as much training as he did. So we try and support these women. Um, you've got two people being baptised. The one who, in, in some places, probably the first person that asks is the, the longest known Christian. And in some of these rural communities, he would be expected to be the pastor because he was the first one to come to God. He won't have the first idea about some of the, the beliefs and the, the things we follow. And so Open Doors seeks to support these people, build them up, train them, so that they can pastor a little flock. Um, we heard one story that believers read the story of the baptism of Jesus. And you'll know that in that, Jesus was baptised and the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. And these believers thought that's what happened in baptism. So they baptised the person and held him there waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down like a dove. And unfortunately he drowned. You know, it, it's a, a mistake you can make because that's what you believe should happen. Um, and so this sort of training is really important. And we do try, we think it's far more important to teach indigenous believers to be the pastors. They know the local stories, they know the local customs far better than a white person or a, a European coming in and trying to bang foreign believers into European holes. And so we do really seek to encourage them. And I say, that's, we've done that. Next one is suffering through rejection. This is a newer um, service we have to offer. Safe houses provided for many Muslim background believers who are in danger from the authorities and their own families. We had the, the privilege of going to a couple of Gulf states with open doors. And we met a Christian there who works in, um, in, the, in the country and meets Muslims and meets the, uh, these people all the time. And in the course of a conversation, he said to a Muslim worker, if your son became a wanted to be, be a Christian and he was 10, what would you do? And he said, well, we, we would talk to him as a family, we'd point out training in the Quran and point out the error of his ways. And he, he, that would be okay. He said, okay, what if he was 15? What would you do then? He said, well, if we'd been, we, we tried that and if that didn't work, we'd take him to the mosque and get the imam to go through the, the, the teaching and the training and show him what he was doing wrong and we would expect him to, to, to toe the Muslim line. He said, what if he was 21 and he'd said he was going to become a Christian? He said, we'd kill him. Just like that. No, no thought. It's again the, the whole culture that you will be bringing shame on the family by leaving Islam. And so probably a cousin, maybe an uncle, would be expected to go and kill him, to alleviate the shame of the family. Same thing with, with girls. Girls might be made to go, if they became Christians, might be made to marry a Muslim man. If they had children... Um, they would be, and they became Christian, their children would be taken away because they wouldn't be bringing them up properly. And so often, if Muslims become Christians, they need help and protection, and so we provide safe houses for them. 
Often it's very difficult for churches to accept Muslims in because they're not sure, A, if they're going to be spying on them, and secondly, they know there's going to be a backlash because of the families. And so often in this country we, we were speaking about, the, the wife knew several different Muslim ladies that were Christians, but they, she couldn't get them to meet together because they were too scared. And as more and more Muslim background believers become Christians, so there is a, a greater need of support. Okay. <clears throat> One of the things we do is encourage visitation. And so we've been there. We've been to Egypt as well, where you can meet Christians. And very early on, when Brother Andrew was visiting Poland, a pastor said to him, your presence here, here with us is worth more than ten of your best sermons. I'm not sure if that was an encouragement to Brother Andrew, I have to be honest. But certainly people who appreciate our visiting, the hug is a universal language, and we might not be able to speak Egyptian or Aramaic or anything like that. But if we can show our concern and show our love for these people, it means so much to them. Uh, this lady on the left is a Nigerian who, I think her, her husband was killed, there was a, a big um, sort of uprising and, and many Christians were killed. And later on, Open Doors, this is an Open Doors lady from Holland, visited them. And just being with them can really build them up and encourage them. And so we seek to do that. And, you know, you don't have to be particularly, you know, just an ordinary Christian, really. One brother visiting another brother. Don't need any special qualifications to go. And we have got a, um, a, a travel brochure at the back. Okay. So, uh, we're also trying to build up these people um, as well and vocational training increases self-esteem and enables people to be self-sufficient and last year we helped 235,000 believers in these little micro-projects um, if a girl becomes a Christian and is, is rejected by the family the whole thing is different here. You know, if this happened in this country, you go on the dole, you get support, social services supporting you, you get all those sort of things. In Muslim lands in particular, it is the family that supports the children. And so if you're rejected by your family, you've got no medical help, no home, nothing like that. And so this was a class we visited in Egypt where they're learning hairdressing. So we can teach somebody to be a, a, a hairdresser or beautician and they can start their own businesses. Um, after the tsunami, we provided new boats and nets for fishermen who'd lost their boats in the tsunami so they could be self-sufficient. We do um, sewing classes and embroidery classes so that women can make clothes and repair clothes so that they can be self-sufficient and help themselves and not be dependent on their families. And these, these are a new, new way in which we seek to show the love of God by helping them to become self-sufficient. Okay? Many Christians are still imprisoned. The, um, the crate on the left is a typical cell for Christians to be put in, in Eritrea. And the way to get out of the cell is to deny your faith. If you do that, you'll be released almost at once. You can imagine that in that sort of climate, in the the daytime, it is baking hot. In the nighttime, it's very cold. You can imagine how much light there is, how much sanitation there is, 
it's not good. And air brothers and sisters are in captivity in places like that. These two girls were re released recently from Iran, uh, Iranian prison. Um, that was good news, but we've had, you may have heard of, if you're into China, you may have heard of Shei Han, who was a, a bookshop keeper who was imprisoned. You know, he's, he was legally set up, but it, he was still imprisoned because the Chinese authorities didn't like it. In some of these uh, Islamic countries, just meeting together or uh, saying something against the Prophet can result in imprisonment. Uh, and there are many people suffering through captivity, uh, even today. Uh, in Mexico, all across the world, Christians are imprisoned. Okay. Another thing we've recently started doing is to have an advocacy campaign, which means writing to air politicians or um, high commissions in this country where civil rights are being abolished. Our latest advocacy campaign is called The Right to Believe. And this has come about because the organisation of the Islamic Conference is seeking again to introduce the defamation of relig religion's resolution in the UN. Um, this gives... They're trying to get this signed by the UN, which will then give the right of being able to say what the, the, the boundaries are in different countries has the effect of severely restricting the foundation freedoms and undermines the right to religious liberty. Um, they're sort of saying this is for all religions, that um, you should be able to do what you want. But because it's coming from the Islamic conference, it's basically trying to protect Islam and to stop apostasy so that although in some, even in some Islamic countries churches are allowed to meet they're not allowed to witness or not allowed to try and get converts and changing your religion can be illegal in these places so basically if, if this goes through it's going to allow Islamic states to say this is definitely illegal and anything going on in that sort of way would be allowed to be punished. And so if this is passed, it basically means the persecution will be legalised in some countries. It could also have an effect for us, that if we were to get up and, and preach against Islam here, and it was heard or overheard, we could be ar arrested because we were countermining the, that, that liberty of that religion. And so it is something that is quite serious. I had an email in the last month or so, which I haven't, I tried to confirm yesterday it, it happened, but apparently in America the National Day of Prayer, which has been going for 21 years, was stopped this year because they didn't want to give offence. But I believe yesterday Barack Obama was at a, a Muslim Day of Prayer where between four and seven Muslims were allowed to pray and they didn't seem to be worried that that might cause offence to some other people. I tried to see if, if that was the case on CNN last night, but I, I couldn't find it. So that, certainly the, I think the National Day of Prayer has been abolished. Whether that actually happened, I don't know. But that petition is at the back. Um, we're hoping to get 100,000 signatures to present to the UN in the hope that that resolution won't be passed. And if you'd like to support it, do put your name on the back, on, at, at the back there. Okay.
So suffering happens throughout the world. Um, always has done, always will do. Jesus said they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So why should we be surprised? The worst country in the world at the moment is North Korea, which is up there. And then all the way across, um, you know, China, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, the Arab states, the Gulf states, North Africa, Mexico, Colombia, Indonesia, Kenya, Nigeria, Algeria, Morocco, Turkey. Turkey's trying to get into the European Union. That will be the first Muslim state in the European Union. The old Soviet places, places like um, the Stans, Kyrgyzstan, Azerbaijan, those places are very difficult for Christians to meet. And it's reckoned that there's something like 200 million Christians will be persecuted this year. They're across the world. They can be persecuted by communists, like in North Korea and Cuba. Uh, Muslims, across that big swathe. Uh, Buddhists, we think of Buddhists as peace-loving people, but in Nepal and Sri Lanka, it can be, there's severe persecution going on there. In Sri Lanka, they're bringing in laws that if you're not a Buddhist, you're not a Sri Lankan. How does that work? You can be born in Sri Lanka with Sri Lankan parents, but if you're not a Buddhist, you're not a Sri Lankan, which makes it very difficult for Christians to, to, uh, to work. And in Nepal, churches are being burned by Buddhists. And in India, Hindus uh, are another source of real persecution the last couple of years, there's been a lot of persecution in Orissa, where churches and houses have been burnt and destroyed, Christians have been killed. That's now going to Punjab, and again, they're bringing in anti-apostasy laws so that uh, people can't change their religion. It's done by governments, um, with laws being brought in. Um, if Christians are a sect against the, the government, like in Sri Lanka, if they meet together, they're insurrectionists, they can be arrested for, for treason, more or less. And there's pressure from families, as we've seen in, in Muslim families in particular. Okay? So, in the parable of the sheep and goats, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Remember he said... I was hungry and thirsty, I was naked, I was, uh, in, I was in prison, and you, you came and visited me. And the sheep didn't realise they'd done it. It was just a natural thing for them, which I always used to find a real encouragement. And then to the ghost, he said, you didn't do it to me. And they said, well, we didn't know you were in prison, or we didn't see you were hungry and thirsty. But if we had known, we'd have done it. And so there's no sort of hiding, really. Um, it's a natural thing. You can't sort of think, okay, well, I... I know Jesus is watching me, I'll try and do that. And another parable that sprang to mind was the, uh, the Good Samaritan. If you remember, a, a person asked how they could inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and your neighbour is yourself. And the man said, well, who is my neighbour? And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end, he said, well, which one do you think was neighbour to the man that was, was injured? And he said, the, the one that showed him mercy. And that's the same sort of thing, isn't it? We're showing mercy to the parts of the body that are hurting. How can we do that? How can open doors help you to do that?
Well, we can make a difference. You can be informed. Every month we have a, a magazine that goes out. We can provide that free of charge to you. It tells you different stories of what's going on. It updates you with things that they've told about before. It gives you the latest news that we have. You can pray. And in the magazine, every month there's a prayer diary with a different thing. Sometimes it's something to pray for. Sometimes it's giving thanks. We ask you to do two minutes a day, which you might think, well, my two minutes isn't going to make any difference whatsoever. Well, you'd be wrong. 30,000 of these go out. So if everybody prays for two minutes, that's 60,000 minutes of prayer, which is roughly six weeks. If God gets six weeks of prayer on one particular subject, chances are he's going to do something about it. So you can make a difference. There was a Chinese brother who was in prison for years and years and years and years. When he was visited, they said, what can we do for you? He said, pray for me. And he said, well, why is that so important? He said, if you pray for me, you will be blessed. You're going to be going into God's throne room. You're going to be having fellowship with the Father. If you pray, you will be blessed. He said, if you know about me and you pray for me, you would have taken an interest, you'll know what my situation is, you'll be able to pray in a more meaningful way. I will be blessed. He said, and sometimes miracles happen. Your prayers will be answered. Um, and so that is, is a really important thing. I think that's our most important role, is to encourage the church in this country to pray for our brothers and sisters. Find out where your body's hurting and then pray about it. And hopefully God will bring about a healing. God can do that. Uh, and you will be blessed as well. There's lots of ways. That's one way. If, um, if you've got email, you can get a, a regular update. There's a prayer tape or CD, uh, CD that goes out every other month. There are lots of ways you can get involved with prayer. You can encourage believers. We talked about prison. We have a letter-writing guide, which again you can do in the, prison, in, in the comfort of your own home. Tells you various different stories, people that you may have heard about, and you can write them a letter, a letter of encouragement. These letters do get through. Um, we heard a story that somebody was at a meeting like this in the north of, of England, and a picture went up of letters arriving, and the lady recognised her her own postcard that she'd sent. It's very easy; it takes no time at all. Cost of a first-class stamp. You can visit somebody in, in that uh, container. You can visit with a, a lady who's been, whose husband has been martyred. You can visit with uh, children that have been orphaned because their father's been killed. It's a real encouragement. You can visit. And so we've got a... This is this year's one, which obviously is running out. But you can go to Egypt, you can go to Algeria, you can go to Colombia, you can go to China... Many times you will meet with the persecuted church. Other times it'll just be prayer walking, something like that. But the fact that you've taken the trouble to take time out of your holiday, that you've paid money to go there, is such an encouragement. And when you're there, they'll probably ask you to pray with them. They'll probably, you'll encourage them so much. And the last way you can make a difference is to give. All charities need money. You've seen the things we were doing with providing the scriptures, by providing the training. 
we need money. But I say the most important thing, I think, is to pray. Um, yeah, so that's right. Yeah, but be aware. As I said, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Whoever kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And that's certainly true for some of the Muslims who have, um, have given their lives to him. Paul said, all who desire to leave a godly life will be persecuted. I seek to leave a godly life, but I'm not being persecuted. Is something wrong? Am I not doing it right? Yeah, it, it is dangerous. And the other thing we are learning from Open Doors is whereas we used to give to the persecuted church, now we're learning from them. Yeah, they can tell us how they have survived. They can tell us scriptures that really lift them up. The whole, if you look at the New Testament, it's nearly all written by the persecuted church, to the persecuted church, for the persecuted church. And often we'll go through it and they say, oh, you're suffering hardships. And we think, oh yeah, somebody said something nasty to me at, at uh, work. But throughout the world, 200 million people are suffering real persecution, real difficulties. So... In the last days, we are told that we will be persecuted. So we should expect it. And by lifting our head against the parapet, by supporting these people, we can expect that to happen. In our devotions last night, we came across Hebrews 6. Verse 1 says, or encourages us to go on to maturity. And one of the ways you can do it is revealed in, in verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Kind of being cheap rather than good. <coughs> he won't forget our work as we love, as the love you have shown him as you have helped his people. At the back we've got the various things that we're giving out. We've got the books that would encourage you. There's a book on how to pray, how to pray for Muslims in particular. Um, and we'll be around if you want any questions we'll be very glad to answer them we really appreciate your support we really encourage you to go on with God uh, in thinking where the hurting body of Christ is and we've just got a prayer we can finish with now a prayer for the suffering will you say this together with us almighty God you have called your people to shine as lights in the world we pray for our fellow Christians who bear their witness in difficult places, and for those who suffer persecution and imprisonment for the gospel's sake. Uphold their faith, bless their testimony, give them freedom of spirit, and cause your church to advance the honour of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.